0: Join us as we go on a search for Jonathan Swift's Lost Silver Mines. History is full of extraordinary tales of questionable characters, outlaws, heroes, and thought-provoking narratives passed down from generation to generation like grandma's recipes. These real-life stories and exaggerations of fiction have helped shaped our culture and created a larger-than-life accounts of the legend. Each week, we'll uncover fun facts of historical events, interesting places, famous people, and everything in between. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeart, YouTube, or your favorite podcast listening app to listen to the show for free. So grab your sweet tea, your fried green tomatoes, and pull up a chair as we uncover little-known facts of uncommon history. Hello and welcome to Uncommon History. I'm Brian.
1: And I'm Harold.
0: Harold, we've got some big news. This is Season 3 and uh, we've kind of expanded our horizons a little bit.
1: Yes, we have. And you're going to explain that for us, aren't you? So,
0: we have rebranded our podcast. We are no longer Uncommon History of the South. We're just Uncommon History.
1: Yes. Broaden it a little bit.
0: Yep. And we have a webpage. And it's uncommonhistory.us. So anybody, if you want to tell anybody how to listen, all they have to do is go onto their browser, whether it's Google, DuckDuckGo, any of those, and just type in uncommonhistory.us, and it'll take them straight to our webpage. And our latest episode will be at the top, and if they would just scroll down to find our other episodes, so it's real easy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, we are posting some videos to YouTube now. So I'm trying to do one little short video each week. We'll also put our video version of our podcast on there as well. Make sure you subscribe, please subscribe, subscribe, and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we uh, um, upload something new. You'll be notified. Also, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure to follow us on there. Um, so I guess that's it. So where's this? this is episode one for season three, and we've had oh, a lot I'm of people excited. asking
1: when we're going to do yeah, another I've one. Had several people. Here. Say, you know, you took a break. Now we ready. So yeah, we're ready. Yeah, it's time. We're, we're getting ready, too. So it's I'm time excited. To
0: get, yeah, I am, too. It's time to get with it. So what happened today in Kentucky history?
1: Uh, today, we're calling college uh, February 16th. In 1838, uh, a law passed to establish the first public school in Louisville, Kentucky. A fellow by the name of Judge W.F. Bullock uh, sponsored the bill. And so if anybody wonders, when did we have our first public schools? It was in 1838. In 1862, Simon Boulevard Buckner uh, surrendered Fort Donaldson, which is across the line in Tennessee, I believe, to his former classmate at West Point, Ulysses S. Grant, during the Civil War. Uh-huh. That was an important thing during the war to control the Mississippi River in that area. In 1864, fire destroyed the Kentucky University in Harrisburg, Kentucky.
0: So now I didn't know Kentucky University was started in Harrisburg.
1: Yes. A new Transylvania started in Danville. Yes. And uh, they moved it to Lexington. So I think that became the University of Kentucky as we know it today.
0: Why? I didn't know that. I think that's, that's right.
1: I might be wrong, but that, I believe that's, that's right. That's a new one. Now, Ryan, I know you're going to know this one. Okay, the movie A Woman Accused. In 1933, starring Cary Grant and Nancy Carroll, was released by Paramount Studios. But what's interesting about it for us in Kentucky is it was adapted from a short story by Irvin S. Cobb, American author and humorist from Western Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he'd done like 60 books or 300 short stories. And I did not know this until I was researching this. He actually had a short acting career. He was in, like, ten movies. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't either.
0: But and in 1938, I was too young to go to a movie by myself without a parent or guardian. Yeah, so. I know, me too.
1: On <laughs> uh, February the 17th, 1815, the Treaty of Ghent was officially ratified to end the War of 1812 with the British. And Henry Clay from Lexington, Kentucky, was on one of the five men that was on the Peace Commission wow. to help make that happen. So that's this... Day or two in Kentucky history.
0: All right. So what do we? What's going to be our um, well, episode tonight? What are we going to talk about?
1: I didn't tell you about this, did I? No. Okay. And and we wanted it that way, right? Right. So we want to be spontaneous. We don't want anything. And that's rehearsed. the
0: way we usually do our podcast yes. because I kind of represent the listening
1: public, right?
0: And i want to ask questions that they might be thinking while they're listening to our podcast. Right. So.
1: And as a person telling a story uh, for anybody that does this, you know, you need feedback. You need people to respond to you so you know. you you know it's kind of a a barrier where you are or get your bearings i mean right so you kind of need that so you can it it helps you tell the story it's the best way i can say it all right are you a treasure hunter have you ever hunted treasure i
0: have not a lot but i find it fascinating and you know the what's the show on um um the um where they're they're on the oak island the yes. Curse of Oak Island. Oh, I love that show. I love that show, and then some of the off spins where they go out and look for you know treasure yeah. other places. You some know. of
1: them good, some of them not so good, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I
0: enjoy those.
1: Right, right. But the Oak Island thing, I believe, is real. I just don't know what's there, Yeah, but I believe There's it's There's a real. story there,
0: and they just haven't found you,
1: the whole story. You know the thing that fascinates me the most about that, Brian, is that they are going with modern technology, with modern equipment, going down 160 feet into the ground, and how in the world – did those people do it back then? By hand, uh, obviously. But how in the <laughs> world, you know? Could we you think imagine we, the manpower or? Oh, I, I, I just keep saying until we know how they did that, we will we really never know the whole story. Yeah. And then why would you do it so deep? You know, fifty feet. You would think would be plenty deep enough to hide. And, and
0: then they built the water traps, or you know, yeah, where the water just, would come in, so and they booby trapped so everything. Something has
1: to be of great importance. It yeah. has to be. And I don't think anybody going to see Well, I know one thing. That. I wish they'd hurry up and find it, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of, it gets on my nerves a little bit. They yeah. just keep dragging it out and rehashing things. And yeah, you, yeah you can miss an episode and watch the next one right, and not miss right. anything. So, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to treasure hunt tonight. There's something a little different. You ever heard of the Jonathan Swift silver mine? No. Okay, well, it's probably the most um talked about treasure hunt in Kentucky. And there's been people that have. Just so many people, and we're gonna find out some of them tonight. Not the whole story. Well, what part of Kentucky? This is Eastern Kentucky, okay. far Eastern Kentucky, Southeastern Kentucky.
0: So, down like Harlan, Bell County, Bell County, County area. okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it started. Uh, this story, it's as old as history. It's as old as people, and the Chaldee and the Cherokee had silver. Now. As we're going to put some some images up on our pod or, or excuse video, me on our right. video of what trade silver looks like. Okay, now in my opinion, most of the silver was manufactured by white European craftsmen and traded to the Indians. However, the Indians had silver. Now we know in Mexico there was gold and silver, and that's a huge reason why the Spanish were there. Right. Now, did some of that silver come up into Kentucky? I do not know. Probably, surely it did. The Indians had even back in prehistoric times there was trade routes mm-hmm. that we we don't fully understand today, but we know a certain type of well, material. Me, did they follow like the buffalo trail, the, the
0: migration of different animals and stuff? Then is that how the trade routes were? They the same or were they separate?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. I don't. The trade routes were uh, probably established along river courses, mm-hmm. um, and then, you you know, back then, you'd, you'd ride a canoe down, but you'd probably have to we'll walk, walk, walk back because right. you couldn't paddle upstream, especially if the current was strong. So uh, that's a good question. But I know that, that archaeologists will tell you they find materials that were used and manufactured in one area that were hundreds of miles from where the source it was, quote, mined or where it came from right. as a natural resource. Right, right. So that's not unusual. But this Swift Silver Mine story has been something that I've heard about it all my life. I, I had kind of lost interest in it because it seemed to be hokey. And I thought, well, you know, it, it's, it, there's got to be something to it or it wouldn't have lasted, right? Right. Well, anyway, it started, uh, I think, I know that it's been around in Kentucky for 250 years. But there was a fellow from Louisville, Kentucky named William Forwood in 1851, left Louisville for Wolfe County. And what he had with him, Brian, was something very important. He had Jonathan Swift's journal. Okay, and we'll talk more about the journal later. But he had Jonathan Swift's journal, supposedly giving the details of where these, quote, silver mines were. And for five years, he looked and found nothing. And actually, uh, three generations of the four woods looked for that silver mine, and they did not find it. Then, as he got old and hunted with no success, uh, and his family, there was a uh, a family by the name of Timmins, a fairly wealthy family there around Louisville, and they either befriended him or knew him or had a common interest in this, in this treasure, and he gave them that journal. And so he knew his days were over, and so that he gave them the journal. Mm-hmm. So they read it and was fascinated by the story and for 30 years this family looked for the swift silver mine. Wow. They packed up everything they had and moved to eastern Kentucky. They believed in it that much. Now, uh, it's hard for us to to comment on someone that with that kind of dedication, you know, they had to know something. Or they wouldn't have dedicated that much time and effort. to Well, some.
0: I mean, just to up and move their whole family and everything. They'd have to have some pretty serious evidence or something they believe that was serious.
1: Well, it's kind of yeah. like the story of Oak Island. Some of the people there that were before right. the the current people that are looking for it. They spent their whole lives there, yeah. digging and looking and, and, and looking for investors. And so did she, the Timmons. Well, the Mr. Timmons had died. Miss Timmons. Uh, started looking for investors to help her, ever she's run out of money. They probably lived off their, you mm-hmm. know, their life savings until they just ran out. She found a, a, a guy from New York, a capitalist and a miner by trade, by the name of Hazelton, who helped her in joining efforts. Uh, Miss Timmons eventually she ran out of money. Uh, uh, she uh, they said her confidence was probably shaken. Uh, in her last remaining years, she lived in a one room house or apartment. And her sole possession was Swift's journal. Huh. And when she knew her, her days were short, she decided to, uh, she packaged it up, gave it to a neighbor, and mailed it to a doctor in St. Louis, but we don't know who it is. So in that way, the journal kind of disappeared. Um, Mr. Hazleton, who had seen the journal and had probably made notes, copies out of it or whatever, he went on for another 15 years after she died but he found nothing.
0: So how, how much time are we talking about total now? It was, what, five,
1: 50? Oh, fift- probably f- oh, 40, 50 years. F- there, okay. Yeah. I'll talk, well, if you go all the way back to to, to the the forewoods, I mean, you're looking, they started in 1851, and this was is, this is probably 100 years of looking for it. Wow. So let's back up way back, the origin of all this. Okay. okay? Hernando de Soto, uh, you know, the, the explorer, came into this region of of the world in about 1540. Um, And he was told by the Cherokee that there were silver mines there in those mountains. Hmm. Now, my question is why would they reveal the source of a great treasure to him unless they were forced to? Yeah. But obviously they had silver and he saw it. And he wanted to know where it came from. from? Right. Right. Yeah. Now, then the, then, when the Spanish left, the French came in in the seventeenth century. and uh, uh, the french and the and the Cherokee enslaved a lot of Shawnee Indians, and supposedly they used them to carry off hundreds of pounds of silver ore and and smelt it into silver. really. Now, one account of this. Uh, is that it helped finance the French and Indian War. Huh. And I find that hard to believe, to be honest with you. But we'll talk more about the okay. pros and cons later. Now, frontiersman Daniel Boone uh, was, and Christopher Gist, uh, early explorers, claimed that they knew of, supposedly, of this treasure. Okay, Now, Timothy Flint, uh, did I didn't find anything that he wrote about it, and, but in... Um, John Filson's book; he mentioned that he did not know of any lead or ore mines, or excuse me, gold and silver mines in Kentucky, but he did know where there was lead uh, mines. So now, I don't think that these people would have have misidentified lead as silver. I, I don't, I don't believe that would happen. No, I
0: don't think that would have happened either.
1: So now, how did Jonathan Swift come into the picture? Okay, this well, who was great.
0: Jonathan Swift? First of all, who who was?
1: Okay, we're getting ready to do that. Okay. Uh, he was he sailed to America from England supposedly around 1750. Okay, now, Brian, all this is you know there are so many versions of this story. This is just one, and and how much of this is fact? We really don't know. Okay, and there are so many versions; it's hard to decipher. I went through and read, and I even watched some YouTube videos to try to get a better handle on kind of what's the more plausible story, in my humble opinion, which means nothing. But uh, this seemed, seemed to be more reasonable to me, okay? Uh, some of them are kind of way out there. Right. Okay. Uh, not a lot of known is about him. Um, he was he was fairly well educated. Uh but he came to America, supposedly after being suspected of piracy, and crimes uh, uh, in in uh, in England, and possibly facing execution. Oh, huh. but now piracy wasn't like what a lot of people first think. The government sponsored pirates. Oh yeah. So if you were you know if you were a a, a person that had a ship and was willing to put a crew together and be sanctioned by the government, you could go out in, and sink Spanish ships or French ships or something being sponsored by the British government. And you were a pirate, you got a part, of like 30% of the loot of what you captured. So the guys that did that, they got good at it, and they got to saying, well, why am I giving it, <laughs> right. giving it to English to keep it for myself? Exactly. So that's, that's kind of the history of piracy. But anyway, um, he spent several years in America as a fur trader with the Shawnee. Um and in the Ohio Valley, he buried a daughter of a chief, supposedly. wasn't Chief Big Feather was it? I don't his know. Okay. I don't know if we're related or not. I thought you might know. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. that. I know a little bit about the family tree. but. Well, he traded with the Indians. He was captured by the French. He was taken to Alexandria, Virginia, um, where he uh, was released. Uh, then he served with General Edward Braddock and George Washington during the French and Indian War on the side of, of course, Great Britain. Right. Eventually, he busted out of the British Army and was arrested for counterfeiting during a trial, but he pr- produced a piece of pure silver to, as evidence, that the, and his charges were supposedly dropped. Hmm. So, man, we already dealing with a guy with a little sketchy past, okay? So, we keep that in the back of our mind. Now, enter a Frenchman by the name of George Mundy in Alexander, Virginia. Now, Swift met George Mundy, who claimed that he was, as a youth, he had he had went with some trappers in the area of what's now Wolf County, Kentucky. And uh, one of the trappers shot a bear. You've heard this story, I think, before maybe. Followed the bear in a hole in a rock wall. And, of course, they sent Mundy, because he was the youngest and the smallest in, after the bear to tie his leg and drag <laughs> him out. I bet he was well, really thrilled about doing that. Yeah. Going in a, bear, in a cave with a wounded, wounded bear. bear. yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's, that's almost day. suicide.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, he, he, he went in there and he didn't, he didn't say anything more about the bear, but he, when he did the torch that he was using, he said the walls were glittering with silver.
0: Well, I can tell you one thing if they'd sent me in, I wouldn't have come out and said anything <laughs> about the silver. <laughs>
1: Well, and then, of course, others went into it, and so they started mining some of this silver out of it. Um, now, the downside to it was the Shawnee were up on a hill watching all this come down. Okay. okay. <laughs> so then they attacked them. Now, the question is, Brian, did the Shawnee attack them just because they were there and, and Europeans in their land, as they saw? <laughs> Maybe they right? wanted the bear. Or were they protected that silver? Right. There's a question, or did they want the bear? Yeah. I think that's low on the talking <laughs> All right. So anyway, they killed all of them, but the the, the young boy and the, the Monday, but and he hid in the cave, but they eventually found him, and they took him as a slave, and uh, he he actually worked, helped him work the mines, and it, of course, you know, it's it's a strange story. He. uh... He said he learned that the mines from the Spanish visitors who had come to visit the Cherokees. Hmm. He was captured back by the Cherokees. And so he had, you know, he had, and these Spanish had come back evidently about these mines. So the story goes. So the French arrived shortly after the Spanish left and befriended the Cherokee. This alliance supposedly lasted for a while. And they were there, hopefully, to slow the Western progression of the British and the colonists. Okay. Okay. So that's this theory of the story anyway. Now, this is where the story gets really strange about them helping finance the French and Indian War. Now, that is a lot of silver. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's imagine a, a, a mining operation it's not gonna be a little hole in the side of a cliff that they crawl in and, you know, if you're smelting and melting down ore, and we're gonna put a picture on our uh, webpage of, a, of an iron ore furnace in Western Kentucky, just to show you how big these things were and how that process worked. And, uh, and it didn't work a lot different for silver. You just build a fire, a hot fire, and it melts the silver. Actually, mm-hmm. silver has a lower melting point than iron ore. So you'd melt the silver and the silver would run out and they'd pour it in ingots or handleable size bars that they could pack and handle, and they could pack it out. And then you wouldn't have to pack all the dirt with it, basically. Uh, So they said that years later you could find this makeshift furnaces in the sides of these hills. Now here's the question. Here's the thing that really gets interesting. How do we know that was silver and not iron ore furnaces? Because there was a lot of iron ore furnaces in that region of the world as well. Especially down into Tennessee, because I had a friend that that done a study of them, and, uh, and or
0: even lead. I, I mean, there's a lot of lead.
1: Yeah, mines. So in 1754, Mundy was alongside a French and Indian Cherokee. Uh, he fought along the side of with them against Great Britain, and he was taken prisoner and went back to Alexandria, Virginia. No money, no family. He was destitute. He escaped the French, got back to the English in Alexander, Virginia, if I didn't make that clear. So then he meets Jonathan Swift. So Jonathan Swift and him begin to share stories, and he relate his adventures. And so Swift immediately wanted to take this expedition because he was familiar with this story. He wanted to go. So he put together a plan, an expedition. And, and the, now here's a strange thing about the story. He said he headed to Cuba to secure financing. that no, wasn't it, Cuba, it, Kentucky. No, who who held
0: Cuba at that time?
1: Uh, the Spanish. Spanish. Right, so. I would assume, yeah. So he hired several men, included uh, miners, British soldiers, and they, were, and they came headed from Virginia into Kentucky Mountains. Swift carried with him his journal, and that's just where he, the journal comes in. He starts writing down his, his directions, all the things that Mundy had told him where to find it. Right. So they got to an area there where there was a myrtle thicket, and they found it. So, they started mining, as you, as you would think they would. They they put together quite a bit, smelted it down where they could handle it, and started out. And then after a trip back to Alexandria, they turned around and went back for their second expedition. And uh, they said that the second expedition they came up to and through what's now Bell County, Kentucky, and they said they spent seven months there. And the 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 hall was was tremendous said it was a lot more than they ever got the first expedition wow so in december 1760 they arrived back in alexandria after the second expedition accumulated wealth uh and they hired a coin engraver supposedly by the name of seth montgomery who worked for the royal mint in england and and uh, began a trading company and they bought two ships and And there was, by Lloyd's registry, from 1761 to 1767, uh, uh, he was listed, Seth Montgomery and Jonathan Swift was listed as sea captains. Wow. So there is some bits of... Truth there. Truth. Truth, Something that's actual facts uh, you can prove, right. In 1761, they set out for another expedition and went to what's now the Sandy River, And they split up into two smaller parties. Monday's party reached the West Bank, uh, or excuse me, went west. Swift and his men uh, worked with Montgomery to make uh, mine, the, the, the old mine, and to make counterfeit coins. Now, there is what throws me. You know, do you know how a coin is made?
0: Yeah, it's, well, it was been poured and then it would be hit right or stamped with a hammer or something to engrave the. Well, I guess over
1: it. the years that has changed. Now in the we, old yeah, I'm talking those times. It's yeah, different in the today. old Spanish doubloons, they would just they would they would just pour out a glob of metal and weigh it. It was sold by weight. Oh, okay. It was the most important thing is what it weighed. So and they that's would, kind
0: of where they used to trim off the edges yes, too, right? Yes. So
1: yeah. Well, they would weigh it and and then they would put a stamp on it. And send it out. Then they began to make dies because that was a nation's currency. They had to identify the nation, right. so they would actually make a die, and it was struck. Mm-hmm. So you didn't engrave coins, no, but you struck them. So you would have to hire an engraver to engrave the dies that stamp the coins. Right. So I don't. This does. That's part of the story to me. Doesn't make any sense. But again, I'm not in that world, and I don't know that world as well as I would like to think I do. So maybe. Maybe they did engrave some of them. I do not know. So they went back to Alexandria in eighteen sixty-one. Purchased two more ships. They just keep bringing this silver, okay? And we go into a lot of detail, but I'll try to get through this. But uh, well, I mean, you think about it. It had to be a lot of money to buy four ships. They said that in, in t- after the two or three trips they made, that there there were so many coins flooding the colonies in England from this operation that that you know they they were predominantly. Like, but again, so they were the Bitcoin of their time, exactly. But if you could think about it, there weren't that many people here, right? So maybe that's not as far-fetched as it first sounds as we would think of it today. Well,
0: you got to think that'd devaluate the market as well, or or you know, would it?
1: Well, I don't know how much of an established market there was then that you could keep up with it. I don't know, I don't know, it's over my head. Okay. Uh, They made another trip on March the 3rd after that trip. Uh, Indian Indian hostilities had broken out, so they hired some people to help protect them, hired a, a body of men to protect them. Now, again, keep in mind, all these people that are involved in this, they all got a brain, they all got eyes, they all can see, and they all got memories, and they all were there. Yeah. So, you know, we're just focusing on one guy here, but what about all these other people? What do they know? Where did they go? You know, uh, when the new party uh, reached the site, they had left the men in 1761. There, uh, the Bundy crew that went west—they they disappeared. They never saw them again. They don't. Know if the Indians killed them. They don't know what happened to them. Um. So they mined more, more material in 1762, all the way to 1764 for two years. They mined and brought back silver. Mm. Uh. And and in 1765, the French and Indian War slowed this all down. Uh, They had a good year, but they had problems because of the French and Indian War transporting, And some of it they couldn't bring back, so they buried it in a small cave. Now, did they ever go back and get it? I don't know. Uh, There was two men in 1765 in the party by the name of Fletcher and Flint, that got drunk and fought a duel, (laughs) wounded each other, didn't kill each other, but they disabled themselves to where they couldn't (laughs) go back. And they were at Mundy's house on New River in North Carolina is where this happened. And Flint supposedly buried 240,000 British crowns and Fletcher buried 460,000 British crowns. Wow. And then in 1768 right after that they were ambushed and killed by Indians and we don't know if that treasure has ever been found or not. If it has it's not been recorded. So the last expedition was in 1769 and uh, from the from New River there they came down through Cumberland Gap and this time they had brought in a lot of more supplies and people supposedly. They worked from June through October for four months and uh, and while that was going on, Swift left and went to England to procure and amass more funds and materials for a more full-scale operation. Hmm. Now, Brian, if he's make, if he's finding that much silver, why would you have to go to England to raise more money? I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, the party came back to Virginia... And then they, uh, let's see, I lost my place here. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. When Swift went to England, he was arrested in 1769 for distributing, excuse me, disburting British colonial, just, I can't say it. Disrupting? Disrupting British colonial policies. Spent And he spent 15 years in jail. Huh. Now, supposedly, when he was in jail for 15 years, he started losing his sight. So when he finally got out, he came back to America, and he tried to find the older the guys that he had went on these trips with and rehire them, restart everything back up. The only guy he found was a guy named McClintock, uh, who in 1790, they went back to the area, but he said he couldn't find it. Now, but was there earlier. Right. He didn't lose his sight. No. Now, if I was there four or five times and spent almost two years there and you couldn't find it, I don't understand that. Um, Soon after he lost his sight, supposedly, Jonathan Swift died in 1800. So what happened to the journal? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it was supposedly in the possession of a widower named Mrs. Renfro, who Swift wanted to marry. And interestingly, uh, she had had a large tract of land bequeathed to her by her husband. So when he had gotten old, he had met up with this widower. and So anyway, supposedly he gave her the journal. Um, now, I have a, I've, got, I've got questions. What would you think would be the pros that this thing actually exists. Can you think of something?
0: Well, I mean, they were active. You know, That he he had to turn over silver when he was captured, or, you know, caught up with his counterfeiting. Um, so, I mean, there has to be some truth to it or unless he was running up some kind of con.
1: Well, we're covering quite a bit of the story, but there's a lot more to this story, and there's a lot of modern-day treasure hunters that are still looking for it. And... Uh, I, I don't think people would chase after things unless they had what they believed was strong evidence. Right now in John Filson's book uh, in his book, he referenced supposedly referenced the swift silver mine. I have his, one of his books if unless he wrote more than one and in, and I didn't see any reference to it in there. Now I didn't find it. I looked right. pretty hard, but now if I missed it, I, if that's possible. Uh, was it a, was it a, a lure to get people to move into Kentucky
0: could have been, especially eastern Kentucky. Yeah, because you know, coal is the pro- coal and timber are the two prominent resources.
1: Right now, most geologists now thats see—that's the avenue that I would have wanted to go first was go to geologists say, "Hey, is this possible?" Right. They say that silver can be found in sandstone, but not likely in the quantity that the legendary mines produced. Not likely at all. It's possible that there was some silver there, but was it in that? Was it in that quantity? No. Who knows? Yeah. I, I doubt um, With all the construction going on in eastern Kentucky in this area, you think about the roads, you think about the tunnel put through Cumberland Gap, where you know you we drive through it today. Yeah. You take construction sites and all this stuff, and no well, one's. Think of
0: how many tons of coal have been pulled out of eastern Kentucky. Somebody would have found silver if it was there.
1: You would think. You would think. But so far not to know of. Now there was a mine found uh in Bell County that produced galena or lead basically. Okay, yeah. And uh some of them said, Oh well they'd found it and it was lead. But now these guys back then, this story that would make they wouldn't have hauled all that lead out thinking it was silver. I I they knew silver from lead, yeah. trust me. Yeah. They, I mean that they, was that
0: would have been kinda of common.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, they said the most likely place, if it exists, would be along that Bell County, Kentucky-Tennessee border. Could be over into Tennessee. Could be in Kentucky. That region seems to be the most likely place from the information that people have. Now there was copies, there's excerpts from this journal that have circulated over the years. Mm -hmm. So the journal itself, the original journal, is lost. We as far as anybody knows, um, it's it's like I say, it's lost about it like the silver. Yeah. But there are excerpts from it that have have been, you know, have existed. Uh, Captain Kentucky, by the way, hosts a swift silver mine festival. Really? <laughs> yeah, and people grab metal detectors and things, so Brian, the legend continues. Well, I can tell you one thing. If we
0: ever go on some kind of a
1: journey or adventure,
0: we're going to hire a man. His sole purpose is to go into caves after wounded bears because I'm not got, going. No, I me mean neither. No, no.
1: <laughs> no, no. I went up a tree one night. My brother made me go climb a tree. We were uh, coon hunting. Yeah. And so he made me go out the limb and knock the coon out so that we (laughs) get the dogs, helps train the dogs, you know. So I got out on that limb and uh, I got scared and I smacked at that coon one time and he come down the limb at me and I dropped out <laughs> and hit the ground. Every single one of those dogs bit me one time before they would. They were make mad sure, at you. Yeah. They would make sure that I was. Well, you poop. know, your brother would be the perfect one to send in the cave after a wounded yeah, bear. So. Yeah, he was mean to me. <laughs> All right, I want to talk about the cons, the pros and the cons. Okay, okay. I don't have many pros because I'm not a big believer in this. Okay, now maybe I'm too maybe i'm too dry and boring i guess silver ore was financed at the french and indian war man that's that's way out there yeah yeah that's that's way out there france was a wealthy country mm-hmm. a little bit of silver coming out of the side of a hill in kentucky would not have made the difference i don't think right but i could be wrong why would the cherokee tell anybody of the location of a silver mine if they valued it as highly as they Supposedly did. And why would you have to go all the way to Cuba to secure funding when you've got a treasure right under your own feet? Yep. Yeah. Uh but how were they able to buy four ships? Well that's see, that's the thing. That's what keeps this thing going. How did they get the ships? All right, they spent seven months mining silver, converting it into ingots, and brought – I mean, you know how a lot – you know that many men, how much silver that would be?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you'd have to have a freight train to move that much silver out of eastern Kentucky.
0: Well, maybe it's – maybe that's why it's not there anymore, because they dug it all out of the ground.
1: And we talked about one of the things I'd already mentioned was the coin engraver. Right. You know, that they didn't really engrave – I mean, think about it, it takes – how many hours would it take? I mean, that's just impractical. So they made dies and they stamped them out. Now, there was a time when they, like I said, back in the Spanish cobs that you find like in the wreck of the Atocha, mm-hmm. where they just stamped a, a nation of origin seal on it right. and let it go. But that, that's not the kind of coins that were in circulation in this time. Okay. All right. So now, <clears throat> all right, huge amounts of, of coins flooded the colonies. I guess it's possible. I, I don't know. All right, in 1769, w- would you go to England to amass funding for a larger expedition? Now, the more you tell about this, the more people gets involved in this, the more people know this. Yeah. Now, listen, you know, it was not heard of somebody just shoot you for that type of a fortune. So maybe maybe we'll stop this phone right just, quick.
0: Yeah, go ahead. You know, that that's kind of interesting that uh, – They would have the money to buy the ships, and those things. But they'd have to keep. They'd have to go to Cuba first, and then they'd have to go, you know, to England to secure funding.
1: Okay, Swift loses his sight, but other companion who was also did with him did not lose his sight. Why? Why did he just disappear from the story? And if he and and if you knew that there was that much gold or silver in a mine. Why would you just like this? Disp- walk off just yeah, like disp- he never existed? yeah that's that's as but you well so you those had other the many.
0: two other guys that that fought the duel that supposedly buried money, or yes buried, where's know, that where you know
1: it's ever been found? I don't know uh in john- John Philson's book Discovery in Present State of Kentucky on page twenty five iron ore and lead are found in abundance, but we do not hear of any silver or gold mines yet discovered hmm. So he didn't he did not write of that in that book. Now he may have wrote about it later. Maybe he found out about it later and that could have come out in some other pamphlet or something that I don't have. But anyway, I looked that up because I have that book and it's just it's not there's no mention. That's the only mention I could find of it in there. Okay. So if you want to go next weekend we'll go to Bell County and start not not it. without
0: an executive uh cave <laughs> explorer bear wounded bear capture. I'm have you heard
1: that. these stories before?
0: You know, I've not heard this one. This one's a, the new one. Can I one tell, to you, me.
1: tell you one? Yeah, Have we got time for yeah. another one. Go, go ahead. One? Okay, I had an aunt and uncle that lived uh, were from here, and they moved to Tucson, Arizona, and um, they met a guy out there who originally was from Kentucky, and uh, he had a big motor home, and they traveled together a lot, and so they came back to Kentucky, and he came, but he'd never been back. Now, where he lived was in the area what's now land between the lakes. Okay. And when he was a young boy, or his father was a young boy, I can't remember the, how that worked out the years, but he, uh, they bought them out, and they had to move. All right. And supposedly his grandfather told him of a story that at the March of the Trail of Tears and which they did march Indians right up through there.
0: Hopkinsville, they actually camped yes. in nineteen well, they, or uh, eighteen thirty-eight. They camped in. I looked it up,
1: and they did. The Trail of Tears came right through what is now. A matter of fact, I just I
0: released a video talking about the Trail of Tears going through Hopkinsville right.
1: on YouTube. Right. Well, supposedly these Indians buried in a cave some valuables, gold, whatever that they had, and had thought they would come back and get it. So this was. They don't. Of course, they weren't there when they saw it buried. Right. However, this family, uh, some Indians came back. The next generation came back. They had been told of where this was, and they drew a map. And they presented to this guy's grandfather that mm-hmm. that we knew, and that story had passed down to his family. So believe it or not, my brother and I, and him, and my uncle, and my dad went to Land Between Lakes and spent a weekend. <laughs> Looking for this possible cave, just because he was so sincere in what he believed. Now, some of his story, and I won't go into all that detail, to me didn't make sense. Right. But some of it had enough plausibility that it made you think. Yeah. So that's the lure of treasure stories. There's There's always an element there that makes you, that draws you in. But how many of them actually pan out to be a treasure? Exactly. Not many.
0: You know the most the, the ones I, you see the most are the you know the sunken ships, off the coast of Florida, oh, yeah. North Carolina. Yeah. Those painted because you know there's some hard well, proof they records. were there. Yeah, yeah. They had they kept. Insurance. so That's yeah. a little different than you know, um, you know like the the Confederate gold that was buried all through and yeah. the you know. So all right, it was a great story. Been fun. out yeah, great. Hey, thank you for being part of Uncommon History podcast. If you would like to help support our podcast, please share our podcast with your friends. Leave a five star review. And comment. Uh, this will help others find it. And uh, you can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. And we'll be back next week, hopefully, with a new episode. Uncommon Histories, produced by Harold Edwards and Brian Wolfman.